Blog Talk Radio. Redbird Rants podcast. This is episode seven. I am Michael Miles, editor of Redbird Rants, and I am joined tonight by Tito Rivera. Hey, Tito, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm ready for the NBA finals to be over with. Everybody can just really focus on baseball. Uh, Don't worry, ESPN will still talk about NBA even when it's in the (laughs) offseason. And we are also joined by Josh McDonald. Josh, how are you? I'm great. I'm scouring over the Major League Baseball draft and feeling just kind of depressed that we don't have any picks. Yes, yes, save that. Let's come back to it. And then, fellas, we were just (laughs) moments ago, just moments ago, joined by Nathan Grime. Nathan, welcome. Hey, thanks for getting me in here last minute. Hey, you know, that's, that's what I'm here for is to sit here at the switchboard and get us fired up. So let's do this. We we do have an agenda tonight, but let's kind of touch on what Josh just teased at about the the MLB draft and the fact that the Cardinals are facing their penalties for Hackgate. And what I'd like to do, because Nathan just joined us and sort of like coming out of the pen, I'm expecting him to throw strikes. So, Nathan, let us know your thoughts on the MLB draft and the fact of the Cardinals suffering some penalties. Well, yeah, it's a pretty uneventful night here for Cardinal Nation with the off day and um, with no early picks in the draft. Um, you know, something I've been thinking early in the season here, um, given that the Cardinals don't have any early picks, is that um, signing a guy like Luis Robert would have kind of, you know, compensated maybe for not having an early pick. So that kind of makes that sting a little bit even more. Um, and we had the Matt Adams trade for a uh, young infielder of 19 years old uh, Yepes. So perhaps that could kind of maybe offset the lack of early draft picks. We won't know, of course, um, how good this kid is for a couple of years yet. But um, all in all, I don't think it's a, you know, it's never good to not have any early draft picks. But the Cardinals farm system, I think, is strong. It's, um, you know, went through a, a little bit of a transition after a lot of guys graduated to the big leagues. But they've got a good triple-A team in Memphis, good double-A team in Springfield, and a good high-A team at Palm Beach. All three of those teams are um, at least near, if not all three, in first place in their division. So the, the farm system is in good shape, and hopefully the Cardinals, despite the lack of early draft picks, can still end up having a successful draft in the later rounds. Well, uh, Nathan, that was a great job. You did not pull a Brett Thiessel on us. So let's see if uh, – Josh – Josh, what it do you think about the, the, the draft? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's um, very true. As long as you come out and can actually throw the ball, you're not pulling a Brett Cecil. So go ahead, Josh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little weird. Um, I think that it's – I think we could have gotten off a lot worse. Um, but I completely agree with Nathan. You know, signing Louis, Luis Robert would have been kind of something that would have kept us from really thinking about tonight all that much. 
Um, looking at it, it looks like Brendan Little, uh, left-hand pitcher out of State College, is uh, who went where for to the Cubs at pick 27, I believe, is where we would have picked. Uh, so we'll have to remember that name going forward. But um, hopefully they can do what they normally do, find some late-round fields. I mean, when you look at our – when you look at uh, the Cardinal team, there's a lot of guys that were taken late that haven't been successful. So hopefully they can continue that trend. Uh, Tito, what are your thoughts? It's uh, it's kind of a weird day as Josh was saying, not to see the Cardinals picking. Gotten a lot of good players recently from draft picks. You know, Michael Walker, Colton Long, Luke Weaver, Austin Daniels. So it's uh, it's kind of weird tonight to see them not picking, but you know I completely understand why we're not, and you know that's just that's what the ruling was, and that's what you just kind of you just kind of have to swallow them and let it go. Um, realistically, you know the Luis Robert signing again. Yeah, I'll hit on it too. It would have been nice to have somebody like him. And, uh, I mean, I, you know, posted a video. I don't know if you guys got to see it, but I posted a video of him hitting his first home run off a changeup, a 3-1 changeup. I mean, he, he just looks like he has such a sweet swing, and that would have been just great to see in a Cardinal uniform. You know, I have to agree with you guys, and the thing that I found kind of interesting about the penalties to Hatgate is we lost the draft picks, but, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that the um, Astros picked up any as a result of us losing them. They may have moved up in the draft by the sheer fact that we lost our position, but they didn't pick up any, did they? Not that I remember. I thought yeah, they I didn't think that like they compensatory picks. Like, they didn't – I don't think they're picking, like, in the exact positions that the Cardinals would have. But I think they might have got some compensatory picks, like those competitive balance picks at the end of the round. I'd have to check. I have not yeah. even looked at the draft order, honestly. They actually – Yeah, because I, I think that would have been so much more damaging if we had to sacrifice our spots and given them to the Astros. That, that would have allowed them to have picked up some more stuff. Well, I'll yeah. have to – I'll have to confirm it, but I think was, that they are. Yeah, so the actual penalty was a $2 million fine, and then the Astros received the first two picks from the Cardinals, number 56 okay. and 75. Yeah, and, so there Josh, you, go. You, were watching the, you were watching the draft closely, so who did the Astros pick in those two spots, just out of curiosity? They have not gotten to those. They just started the second round where they will have – uh, two picks, 53 being their own and 56 being ours. All right, well, let's keep a close watch on that one so that you can let us know the players that were picked in those spots and their their positions they play on the field and see if we could have used somebody like that. But in the meantime, let's jump into our agenda tonight, fellows. We are going to first talk about the management shakeup. And let's uh, toss it over to you first, Josh, and just get your opinion on the stuff, you know, Maloney reassigned and so on. Just fire away and let me hear what, what's on your mind about the management shakeup. Um, pretty, I, I'm happy that something happened. I think that's the safest way to put it, but I don't know that enough happened. I think Mo did a very good job of explaining it to where 
you can't do everything at once. Um, and he makes a good point there. You can't just bleed the team and expect things to get better. You have to make small changes and hope that as you make these small changes, things get better. Um, I really think that we all missed out on an opportunity of seeing some very good uh, hitters on this team, but they decided to hold on to John Mabry. Uh, but, you know, that's a topic for another day. Uh, Chris Maloney just seemed to be kind of the scapegoat here. He had made some mistakes clearly, but getting rid of the third base coach, how much is that going to affect you? Uh, I think it was just more of a wake-up call, and he just happened to be the guy that, that had to take the brunt of it. I hope that this leads to things down the road improving, but I'm not going to hold my breath that the third base coach being reassigned and a couple minor league coaches coming up is going to completely change this team and turn it all around. All right. Tito, how wrong is Josh or how much, how right is he? Um, well, there's not really – I don't think he's – actually wrong in what he's saying. I actually agree with him. I don't think enough was done either. I probably would have went as far as firing John Mabry. And what I would point to is look, go back and look at his comments, John Mazalak's comments on Friday about the offense. He, you know, vividly pretty much said, you know, the offense stinks right now. Now, if you're telling me that you're going through a management shakeup and you're trying to move pieces around, reassign somebody, and you tell me the offense is having a problem, the last person I think that's probably going to get fired is the third base coach. Where is his? Where is the same kind of, you know, nerve to fire John Mabry? You know, and this isn't the first time John Mabry has been mentioned in a potential, you know, hey, we might need to fire him. Because let's be honest, I mean, I can count, you know, a couple of times that I thought, man, John Mabry just can't do this. I don't know how you guys feel, but to me, that was the most important thing I took away from that was his, was John Mozeliak's comments about how the offense isn't doing enough. And if you're gonna, if you're a GM and you're gonna go say those things, you probably should do something to back that up. And then the other thing that I took away from John Mozeliak's comments on Friday was about upgrading the baseball team. And I know we're going to get to that a little bit later, but I'll, I'll save that for later. But that's a really important thing that I think many of us probably are just going to say, eh, it's not that big of a deal, but trust me, it really is. Yeah, excellent points, everybody. Excellent. Uh, Nathan, wh- what do you think about the management changes? Yeah, well, I think you guys are right on it. Um, something needed to happen. I think we all agree that. But was that something like was the third base coach really? I mean, is that really going to make that much change as you guys brought up? And I would, I would say no, as you guys have said. Um, so that does make you wonder. You know, was this even a necessary move? I know some people are a little bit relieved that oh, you know at least Mosaic put Massini on notice by firing a couple of, of his coaches. But um, Bernie Nicholas wrote a column uh, over the weekend about he repeatedly called called John Mabry Massini's BFF. So if, if uh, Mo actually wants to send a message to Massini, um, he wrote that Mabry would, Mabry would be the, the guy that needed to go. Um, so 
we can look at this one of two ways. Either Mo is doing this to send Matheny a wake-up call, and maybe he's put on notice, and maybe he's put on notice, or maybe Mo just, you know, fired fired Chris Maloney and shook a couple of things up, but isn't really planning on shaking anything up in the future in this season if things don't improve markedly. Um, that all remains to be seen, of course. But I, I would also point out, though, that John Mozeliak also said, you know, and, and I'm quoting him here saying, I think everyone, including myself, is not in the most secure position right now. You know, I, I, I get that John Mabry, you know, firing him would send a stronger message, and I actually said that uh, to a couple people on, in the Cardinals' Twitterverse that that would actually be the right thing to do. But just by that sentence right there, that's a strong enough message. To, that should be a strong enough message to Mike Matheny pretty much saying, like, hey, if we don't turn this around, our jobs are on the line. And they practically are, I mean, at this point. And at the same time, um, you know, when he said that, that was in response to the question, you know, is Mike Matheny's job safe? So I, the, right. the way I kind of heard that was Mo's kind of defending Matheny to an extent, saying, you know, well, even my job isn't safe. So he's kind of, you know, taking taking the focus off of is the manager's job safe and saying, you know, we all need to be held accountable right here, myself included. So I kind of, I, I don't know, I kind of heard that as um, a little bit of a defense of the manager, honestly, from Mo. And, and that's, that's fair, but at the same time, it should, again, it, it should send a message pretty much saying like, hey, we need to turn this around. You know, he could exactly. be saving grace, but that's the point is, and Matheny, to his credit, actually went on record saying, hey, I get it. Baseball is a business. It's about wins and losses at the end of the day. If you don't produce and, you do, and your team doesn't succeed, then he completely understands why people feel some kind of way. So that's exactly the message that Mosaic was saying is we, as a team, are not secure and we need to fix it. For me, I think that um, the biggest move of all this that might have the most effect outside of sending a message is Mark Budaska uh, coming up to be the assistant hitting coach, at least in the interim. I feel like that will probably be one of those things that gets stretched out and he'll stay with us the whole season. Uh, he, he gets rave reviews that people that talk about him. He's called the, the hitting Buddha. Um, I think that as a team, I think that a guy like that being added, I don't know why he's been in the minors so long, if he's as good as people say he is, but that kind of uh, that kind of talent as a hitting coach being on the team can't hurt. All right, I, I got to jump in on that one. I've, I've got to actually jump in on that one because I, I just recently wrote a piece about, you know, sort of this, the, the move that Mosaic has made and, and I don't really see a whole lot of accident in who was called up and who to do the replacement. I don't really see a whole lot of accident in the fact that Mike Schilt goes to third base and becomes a third base coach, uh, that he was brought up as the quality control coach. We still don't really know what that means because I haven't seen quality improve at all. But I don't think that's a reflection on Schilt. I think it has everything to do with it really should have been called manager and waiting. You know, and I, I put this in the, in the slideshow that's up at the top now about three possible managerial replacements from Athene when and if the team decides it's time to move on. 
bringing Buddha up, and, and the reason I want to jump in now is because I can speak to you guys from firsthand experience and talking to Buddha, watching him work with players. Uh, Jose Martinez sings Buddha's praises. Randall Gritchick sings Buddha's praises. Colton Wong sings his praises. I mean, this is the man who woke up Colton's bat last season. This is the man who woke up Randall's bat last season. And to be quite honest, Randall moving up to Memphis and getting promoted out of Palm Beach was done so so that he could spend some more time with Buddha. And how funny now that Buddha has been promoted, but that's neither here nor there. I just really think that, you know, I, I do agree with what you guys have said. I do think that Mosaic was defending Matheny to a certain degree, but I think that's his job. And I think that it is his place to say, look, none of us are safe. Um, at the same time, I think that he has aligned the right people for his next move. I mean, he's always playing a mental chess game in the GM's office, and I think he absolutely has aligned his next move. And I'll, I'll bow out now and let you guys land blast me if you'd like to. Well, I, I like that you do say that it's neither here nor there when it comes to uh, uh, Buddha getting the promoted to the big league team when I've been seeing a lot of people talking about how Gritchard could be back with the with the team as early as this week. So, um I think that those two things are potentially connected. Um, I completely agree with you with all your points. Um, I I think that we're in a position now where it's time to sink or swim. And I think that with the message has been sent, I think it's that these guys are going to have to figure something out or more heads are going to roll. And also in the press conference, um, Mo kind of gave that time frame of we'll, we'll see where things are in four to six weeks, um, which makes me think that more changes could be could be pending, you know, if things don't improve, of course. I actually was surprised that any moves were made. Um, I mean, it is the first time in Mosaic's tenure that he's had to make in-season coaching staff moves, but I wasn't expecting it. I know it wasn't that much, as we've touched on, but just the fact that this move was made makes me think that well, maybe something big could happen in the future if the Cardinals um, continue to be a sub-500 team. Well, speaking of that, let's take a short break, and when we come back, let's talk about some of the other changes that were made. And in relation, as you just mentioned, to Mosaic's comments of improving the team. So let's take a, a short little break, and let's come back and talk about improving this St. Louis Cardinals team. You're listening to the seventh episode of the official Redbird Rants podcast on Blog Talk Radio. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. You are listening live. If you are live, if you're listening to this after you downloaded it, you are live, but we no longer are recording live. But if you are listening to us right now, we are recording this live. The four of us are in different places. I'm outside at a Sonic having some ice cream, while the rest of you guys, I don't even know what you're doing, but it can't be nearly as exciting. But... Let's dive back in. And we had just mentioned Mosaic's comments of a desire and a need to improve this team. What do you think that means, guys? What, what do you think he's really talking about there? And, and, Tito, let's throw it over to you and have you kick off this conversation. What does that mean to improve the team? What does Mosaic mean? And what would you do to improve this team? Sure. I think whenever John Mosaic says there's a need and desire to improve the team, I think he's he's looking at the team objectively and saying, hey, you know, we haven't done that well. We're not playing to our capabilities. 
and he kind of mentioned it uh, in his comments. You know, there were a lot of us, you know, a lot of people saying that this was, you know, they were going to win a lot of games. They had such a great team, and they're not just playing to their abilities. So I think he's seeing at, at he's seeing this as, a, as an opportunity to evaluate the team at this point and see where they are in four to six weeks. Now, in my opinion, I think if you are you, – you have to make a, a decision, and I guess that's why the minimum of his, uh, his offer is four weeks. But in my opinion, by the end of June, you should know what kind of team you are. You're either a contender or a pretender at that point. Um, so to me, in these next four weeks, if the Cardinals are somewhere around 500 or better – they're they're a contender because we've seen that the National League Central Division, while it is competitive, isn't necessarily the strongest division right now. They've got three of teams under 500 or at 500. I think uh, maybe yeah, the Brewers are the only team above 500 at this point, which is kind of sad to say. But he's looking at it from that perspective. And I kind of mentioned it last episode. I said, if if you were any of the other teams and the Cubs were playing this poorly practically halfway through the season, that's kind of saying something. You And you're that close? You're four and a half games back of them or maybe just one? That's saying something. And the Cardinals shouldn't relax just yet. They need to put the pedal on the gas or, yeah, Sure. <laughs> they need to keep going forward with this, and they need to play better baseball and become contenders. That's what I would do. I'm telling you, and I'll say it one more time so Josh understands that the Cardinals need to go for some offense. You can't win games by scoring just two, three runs in a game, especially when your starters have kind of kind of uh, – been a little bit lackadaisical with their pitching minus, uh, minus Carlos Martinez. The offense needs some kind of an upgrade, whether that's at third base or in the outfield or left fielder, right fielder. I'm playing around with that. It's got to happen. But it needs to be somebody that can hit for a decent average and some power, and I'm talking a 280, 275 hitter with a potential for 25-plus home runs. Well, considering Tito called me out, I'm going to hop in. Um, I I liked most comments for the most part, but I did not like the four to six weeks. And I think that I agree with Tito. I think end of June is where you need to be kind of making that change if there's going to be a change. There's only so long you can sit back and wait. And I think that the longer you do, the the more of a hole you dig – and yeah, let's. We it's all it's very well known that the NL Central is the an embarrassment at this point to say the least, and there's no one running away with it. But at the same time, there's only one person, one team getting out of the NL Central. That none of these teams look to be making the wild card. So you're gonna have to make sure that you have enough to stay ahead of the Cubs and the Brewers long term. And the sooner you do that, the better off you are. There are teams that are out of it that might make it, that might be willing to make a deal in within the next couple of weeks. It's been done before. Sure, that might make the price a little higher, 
just considering you're getting them early, but earlier, but something has to be done. And I a hundred percent agree with Tito. I'm going to let him take a second to let that sink in again, even though I've said it probably the last three weeks, but I a hundred percent agree that we need some offense and I want to slot a left fielder in there and see what can happen. I know that's going to upset Tommy Pham and, and Randall Grichik and Jose Martinez, but if we can get a guy who can hit 20-plus home runs and bat around 280 in left field, sign me up. Well, I'm I think glad in, you jumped in there because you certainly needed to when, when Tito shot across your bow like that. But, Nathan, go ahead. Let us hear what, what you think yeah. about all of that. Sure. I think when you hear the comments, we need to improve this team. Um, I think it has a couple of different meanings. Um, in, in the beginning of June here, as we are in the schedule, I think that means – we're going to try to improve this team with the pieces that we have in the major league organization, in the major league team, and in AAA, so within the entire organization. So that might look like mixing and matching guys up and down, whether it's pitchers. We know Marco Gonzalez is pitching um, out of necessity, of course, in a nightcap of the doubleheader tomorrow night. But we'll see Randall Gritchick get another chance this season, I'm sure. And um, Colton Wong is back. Um, we'll probably see Paul DeYoung. He was just optioned back to Memphis, but we'll probably see him. Uh, before too long in St. Louis again. We'll probably see Magnair Sierra again get a shot. So I think here in June that means we'll see how good of a team we are, you know, with with the pieces that we have. When you talk about making a move, I think that comes into play then after that window of four to six weeks or by the end of June, as you guys guys mentioned. We'll see where the team is then. And then you see if you want to make a move outside of the organization um, via a trade, for a left fielder, a guy that will um, improve the offense. His team still needs bullpen help uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, these the organization hasn't been willing to give a lot of minor league pitchers a shot in the bullpen this season yet. And I know that's because, you know, a lot of them are starting pitchers at AAA and you don't want to um, mess with their development or their workload. But we'll see what moves are made. I don't see any moves happening, though, in June here because the team, I don't think it would be a good business model to go out – you know, for Marcelo Zuna, as we mentioned in the last episode last week in June. And if you don't improve and if you're not playoff bound, well, then you're out of, you know, multiple prospects that it would take to land that guy. And then you have Ozuna playing for you for more than half the season. But if you didn't make the playoffs, it's not going to be worth it. There's one thing that Josh said that I do want to uh, kind of revisit. And that was uh, when he said, that if you go for somebody now, the price might be higher. I'm actually going to disagree with that. I think the longer you wait, the steeper the price is actually going to be. You might as well outplay the market now rather than wait for the market to be established. And you could go both ways on that and say, oh, well, that player only went for so much, so I want to you know, give up as, you know, maybe as little as that team did. But I think the longer you hold out, teams are going to be willing to say, well, you could have approached us earlier, but now you're approaching us now, so it, it's going to cost you just a slight bit more just to get this player. So I'm, I'm hesitant on, on, on uh, you know, on what Josh was saying, but I, I, can, I can understand why. Yeah, I, I agree with Tito on this one. I think another part of part of – the asking price being higher as time goes along is 
that teams are more desperate to make a move as the deadline nears. So the team looking to deal will be willing to offer even more. And the asking price, you know, might be higher, of course, because you're up against the clock. And, you know, if you want a deal to be done, if you're a seller, if you're really, if, if you've got a team that's desperate and you're a seller, you might ask for more, but sellers, you know, are trying to get prospects in return too. So, um, it, it, it all has to do with the buyer and the seller and where they're willing to meet. But it does happen that, you know, once you're up against the clock, teams do become more desperate to, to get deals done. And it's like I said last week, if you I think, remember our conversation about whether the Cardinals were going to become sellers, uh, I'll, I'll go back to it and say, you're the team that has the pieces. The other teams don't. They need to come to you. So, if the Cardinals find themselves being sellers, they need to sit on it as long as they can, as long as it takes for them to get the right offer. Otherwise, there's no reason to deal. You know, I I want to jump in there too, you guys, because I, I, I really agree with Tito. And as much as that pains me to say, um, <laughs> there, the four to six week issue really irked me. It hit me in the wrong way. And, and I think that you have to strike now. I think that the team has to strike now. I think that with the, with the Cubs and the, the Brewers, these two teams that have the makeups of somebody who could run away with the division who currently are not, this is the time to pick someone up and, and to, to get some ground, make up some ground. And I, I'm concerned that if we wait the four to six weeks to make some drastic change, that we are definitely going to be in a position to become seller and definitely not be in it right now. We're still in it. I mean, we're all limping along, but if everybody else is limping, this is the time that a predator strikes that weakened prey. And I, I just think we are losing valuable time. I mean, that's just my take on things. And I, I, I kind of think you go out and you, you grab somebody now. I'm not so sure that the asking price now versus later is something you consider. I think that what we have to consider right now is, we have the opportunity to pick up some games on the NL Central competition, and I think that's the, what has to be paramount. That's just my two cents. Right. right. And at the same time, if you're the general manager, you still have to look past this season as well. Obviously, you want to make up as much ground this season in the month of June as you can, but you, you have to look to the future, too, from a business perspective. From a fan's perspective, yeah, we'd like to see the Cardinals make a move. We'd like to see the Cardinals have a more exciting team tomorrow as they play the Brewers in a doubleheader. But from a business perspective, you know, you're talking about dealing prospects to land a high-end player, um, and that, that does impact the future significantly. So that's, I just, that's why I don't see a deal happening. Josh, let me ask you this. How realistic do you think the chan- the Cardinals have a chance at landing J.D. Martinez? Because I, I actually really, really, really like that idea, and I know you brought it up first, but what do you think the chances are that they could land somebody like him? Like him, I think, is the key word there. Um, because at this point in time, Detroit's two games under five hundred and only three and a half back of the division and only two games back of the wild card. So they're still in the hunt. They've been playing a little bit better of late. Um, So I think that specifically J.D. Martinez might be a little difficult because if they're in the hunt, I don't think that he's going anywhere. They're an aging roster, 
They're not going to be getting rid of guys willy-nilly. But when you go over to Miami, they're already 11 games back of Washington and ten and a half games back of the wild card. Who knows where they'll be at come the trade deadline. They have they have weapons. I if they're talking about Ozuna and Yelich being on the trade trade block, I don't see how Giancarlo isn't on the trade block. Now I can't say that the Cardinals are going to go get Giancarlo. That costs a lot of money. But if they're looking to deal, the, you, I, you have to assume that the Cardinals will call them if they are going to be buyers at the deadline because they have it. I think that if the Cardinals are willing to make that move to move some prospects, which they've they've been a little bit wary of doing outside of Rob Kaminsky, which I know shocked some people, but turned out to be a pretty good deal. James Ramsey, they've, they've moved these metal middle of the road guys. They've, they've really held strong to not trade those top prospects. So that would be a little change, of course, for them. But I think if they're willing to do that, they can 100% find a team to, to trade them a a power bat in the left in left field. I think Giancarlo Stanton's $320 million contract will probably scare away a lot of teams that would be interested in him. I just don't see a team willing to deal that wants to acquire yeah. Stanton willing to take on that contract because they're going to have to give up lots of prospects, plus they're going to have to mm-hmm. eat that contract in. How many, you know, $200 million-plus contracts have we seen where a guy, you know, signs it or, in this case, it would be tra- traded, you know, in his prime, but it, it does not work out towards the, end of the, towards the end of the contract? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, it's a, it's, it really is a tough, uh, tough uh, you know, concept to really bring our, our mind around and, I just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm almost at Nathan's point where maybe the Cardinals really just are going to sit back. Uh, you know, the left fielding issue between Grichik and Fam. You know, personally, at this point, you might as well keep rolling with Fam. Grichik hasn't done anything special, and I, I understand that the Cardinals want to give him every opportunity to play, but. If, if Tommy Pham is winning you ball games, then there's no reason to keep to trot Randall Grichik out there. But if the Cardinals are going to go for somebody, you know, I asked I asked one of my buddies what he thought about trading for Mike Stanton, and he was he didn't like that idea either. And I find it interesting that you know that the contract would scare people. I just – I would really like to see him in a Cardinal uniform. I just – I'm not too sure if the Cardinals would want to take on that much money either. Yeah, and the thing about left field is, you know, if the Cardinals are looking for a bat towards the trade deadline, if it's going to be a left fielder, I don't think that – you know, I don't think they consider that until, like, the last week of July because Tommy Pham has been playing well, and he's right. been playing every day. And at the same time, I mean, his – de facto backup is Randall Gritchick. And, you know, Mo gave Gritchick the vote of confidence where he said, you know, he's going to get another chance eventually and we'll have to see if he is going to sink or swim. Um, you know, maybe vote of confidence isn't the right word, but in, in saying that, he's saying, you know, Gritchick's time with the Cardinals isn't done, so we'll still see him, you know, get a chance to start in the outfield probably at some point this season. 
what that looks like, you know, what, what the fallout from that is, you know, we don't know that yet. But they've still got two guys in Tommy Pham and Randall Gritchick that figure to get everyday time in left field or in right field or even center field if necessary. You know, those are all really fantastic points. And, you know, it, it's so frustrating right now, right, because we don't know what Mosaic has planned. And, and I – you know, the one thing I do want to comment to in regards is we look at the players coming in. Let's let's assume they are going to be coming from Miami to the Cardinals. In the same stance as what you mentioned, you guys about you have to think about it from the business standpoint and looking down the road. You know, Miami is very likely going to be looking at not just what they can pick up by trading away of an Ozuna or a Yelich in the immediate sense. But what are they going to pick up in a few years? Or what else? What other moves are they working on? What little trade pieces could they pick up from the Cardinals that they could use to flip and turn them into something else from somebody else? You know, so I, I don't know that it's really that outlandish to expect that those things could happen. I I think as, as every day passes, the likelihood of them happening it becomes less and less. Uh, that that's just my two cents yeah, on the matter. I agree with that. I agree with that. The Astros just picked number fifty-six. Say that again. Sorry, didn't mean to. The Astros just picked their uh, the the Cardinals pick. Right hander. Okay, who who did they get? Martin from right hander Corbin Martin from Texas A and M. He is a junior out of college. I just listened to the MLB guys said that. They believe he is a bullpen guy unless he can develop that third pitch. So, you know, not heartbreaking, but at the same time, still kind of like to have that kind of depth in, in your in your minors. Right. And they rank him as the 32nd best player in the draft. Very so interesting pick there. I, I, I think I'm with you guys that um, I, I'd be a little – more upset if it were something else, but I think that we can suffer through that one, right? Yeah. I think we'll the, the worst thing that you out. have to take, yeah, the worst thing you have to take on that is who would we have taken and how would we have developed him? But the good thing is we don't have to think about all these different guys. You just look at look at Corbin Martin and hope that he just doesn't turn out to be a star because then that will really hurt. I just want to say. Wonder how Corbin quick. Martin feels. <laughs> We're already rooting against him. Kid just got drafted. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say, pick fifty-seven went to a Puerto Rico player. So. Woo. Well, all right then. I think that that is a fantastic <laughs> point to take a little break. So. We're going to take a break, see if we can uh, pull Tito back into the United States and join us on our next topic. (laughs) But we really appreciate those of you listening. Uh, We are the official Redbird Ranch podcast, episode seven on Blog Talk Radio. Stick with us. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. You are listening to episode seven of the official Redbird Ranch podcast, where we talk all things Cardinals with writers and editors from RedbirdRants.com. Make sure you visit RedbirdRants.com. We are putting out all sorts of great work every single day, multiple articles a day, 
we are on a roll this month with some really stellar pieces going up there. So please stick with that. And what I'd like for us to do now, fellows, is I'd love for us to turn our attention to this series that's going to start tomorrow with two games, the series with the Brewers. Uh, some very important series here, right? That we could make up some good ground on the Brewers, uh, or we could suffer pretty miserably. So let's toss it over to you, Josh, and have you kick us off on this conversation. What are your thoughts about this as we go into a doubleheader tomorrow and then just overall with the series with the Brewers? Well, I'm always a fan of uh, – day games during the week because that gives me something to pay attention to when work is slow. Um, overall, though, you got to you gotta feel a little good about this team. I mean, yes, we faced the Phillies, and that's, that's not a world beater. Uh, but facing the Phillies might be a cure-all, just kind of get some confidence going before we start this series. There's a real chance that at the end of this series – the Cardinals could be in first place if they keep playing well. They sweep the Brewers and the and the Cubs continue to struggle like they did tonight after uh, Jacob Degrom shut them down. They could be in first place in the NL Central conceivably at the end of this series. Now I'm not going to say that's going to happen because as we've seen this year, they've had the they've seemed to play down to teams even then other teams are struggling. So I'm hoping that the shakeup is going to stick with them and the confidence is built from the Phillies series and maybe at the end of this series we'll be writing articles about how the Cardinals are back in first place in the central. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, well, first of all, I just, I absolutely love the day night double headers. I love when um, you get to just sit around and watch baseball all day. If, you know, of course you're able to do that. A lot of fun, so I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Also looking forward to seeing Marco Gonzalez pitch. Uh, this is a guy that was a former first-round pick. You know, as we talk about the draft tonight, he was a first-round pick in 2013. And we have not seen too much of him. We saw a little bit of him in 2014. He actually won a couple of playoff games coming out of the Cardinals bullpen. But we haven't seen him start too many games in St. Louis. Of course, the last couple of years, 2015 and 2016, um, he was sidelined for you know most of both of those years because of injury. Um, he's pitched pretty well in Memphis this season in the Memphis rotation. So I'm excited to see what he can do tomorrow night against the Brewers pitching in the major leagues for the first time in over a year. And I think it'll be, you know, perhaps an audition for later in the season. If the Cardinals are in need of a starting pitcher again, Gonzalez, if he pitches well, can maybe assert himself at the top of that, um, at the top of that reserve starting pitching list in the minor leagues. Of course, you have Luke Weaver, in AAA, pitching extremely well. So the decision to have Gonzalez pitch instead of Weaver, um, you know, maybe that says something, maybe it doesn't. But what we'll say even more is the results. So we'll see how Gonzalez pitches and what that means for him in the future. Yeah, I think you make a really good point about the, you know, what he's potentially is auditioning for and, and I, Nathan like you I think that there is absolutely a reason that it was a call for Marco and not for Weaver I, I find myself wondering if perhaps Mosaic has received a telephone call on someone like Marco and, and they want to see you know how he's, how he's going to do and that the team want, you know, the, the team who called um, Mosaic wants to see how he's going to do so that's that's something that I find myself asking. 
you know, with, with him pitching instead of Weaver. Yeah, that's entirely well, possible. Yeah, when it comes to Weaver, um, I know one of the main factors was he actually pitched, I believe, yesterday, but he also uh, – did not finish the game yesterday and was escorted off by the trainer. I don't know if there's been any updates about that, but that just makes this start even bigger for Marco because if there is anything remotely serious with Weaver, Marco is going to be the potential go-to guy down there in AAA. Yeah, those are great points, and I haven't seen any updates today either. Um, you know, I don't I don't know what really happened. I wasn't at the game. I did see the, the message and all that he was removed and so on. But I haven't I haven't seen any other updates. But hey Tito, what what are your thoughts on the Brewers series coming up? I think it's an excellent opportunity for the Cardinals, like Josh said, to put themselves in a position to to once again be within a game, if not in first place. And I can see this going a couple ways. I can see them winning two and losing two, but I could also see them winning three and losing one. And, you know, if there was a potential for a sweep, I hope the Cardinals can do everything they can to do so. But I, but I truly think it starts tomorrow with Lance Lynn. You have to go out and you have to start off on the right foot. We need – Good pitching from Lance Lynn tomorrow. I would hope that he can get through seven innings of well-pitched ball. The offense shows up. Usually the Cardinals are really good against Jimmy Nelson, who is starting the uh, game one for the Brewers. Matt Carpenter has done very well off Jimmy Nelson in the past, and he's just been a revelation at uh, leadoff. It's like he's it's like he's hit there before. Um, but, you know, the second game features two pitchers that haven't started in the major leagues this year, Gonzalez and Espino. And then you follow up with Leak versus Davies and Walker and Guerra. Guerra's coming back off of injury, so I would love to see how he pitches. But, again, a lot of the Cardinal hitters have hit well off of Junior Guerra. And so I, I'm looking, I'm really thinking that the Cardinals have a really good shot of picking up three of these four games. Um, and the game that I would say that they probably have the least chance of winning is probably the Leak-Davies matchup. Although Leak hasn't pitched terribly, he hasn't been as good as he was in April and May. And maybe he's fatiguing a little bit, uh, maybe, but... He's done well enough to keep the Cardinals in the game. Um, You know, that start against the Cubs, you know, I'm going to put a little blame on Mike Matheny for leaving him probably in just a little too long. But, again, he hasn't pitched terribly, and Davies is easily the Brewers' best pitcher. So I think that could give the Cardinals a little bit of fits. But Josh is right. This is an opportunity to put yourselves in contending position and uh, that's just how ba- – and if you think about it, this is just how baseball is. You know, a couple of weeks ago we're like, oh, God, we're on a seven-game losing streak. The world is over. And here we are almost, you know, a week later saying, hey, the Cardinals might be in first place again. So I- I'm-, I'm really looking forward to some well-played baseball, but it starts with, with Lance Lynn. 
And two other things to note about this series with the Brewers is, you know, they've got to start – the Cardinals have got to start beating teams with winning records. Um, they swept the Phillies, yes, but the Phillies have the worst record in the National League. Um, mm-hmm. The Cardinals have struggled against against winning teams this season, whether it's, you know, the Cubs, um, who I will put an asterisk next to. Of course, they don't have an actual winning record yet, but I still think they're better than, you know, than they've played so far this year. Um, they struggled against the Dodgers, the Rockies. Um, so we'll see if they can, you know, beat the Brewers, who are a team that, you know, might be outperforming themselves. But, hey, they're in first place. In first place is first place, however, you know, however you get there. So and another thing is beat the teams in the division because that seven-game losing streak was against, you know, the Cubs and the Reds, two National League Central teams. And if you're going to win the National League Central, you've got to beat teams in the National League Central, whether they're the first-place team or the fifth-place team. It's always important to beat teams in your division. Okay, so guys, let's get some predictions then. Let's start with you, Josh. What's the prediction from you for this series? Um, um, you know, I'm gonna keep it uh, keep it safe. I'm gonna say we're splitting the series, um, which I know that's not exactly what people want to see, but I think splitting this series would definitely be a lot better than coming out and laying an egg. So. I'm not. I'm not gonna say that. I think that all these changes that we've made and this whatever meeting this team had is gonna completely have changed everything. And this team's about to go on a tear. But I want to be realistic, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick with they split the series. They're gonna win one tomorrow, and I think they're gonna. I think Javier is gonna be the one that that surprises them a little bit, and they'll take the other game with Leak on the mound. All right. Nathan, your prediction. Um, I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say the Cardinals take three of four. I think, you know, the changes over the weekend really don't mean all that much. But I think, you know, when you go on a seven-game losing streak and then you sweep, you know, I think you've got that that little bit of an edge perhaps. And we'll see. You know, we'll see how the Cardinals play, if they're sharp or not. The off day Monday, um, hopefully they use that to their benefit, refresh a little bit. Uh, the game I'm, you know, think the Cardinals will have a tough chance and is actually the nightcap tomorrow night. I'm just not sure how Marco Gonzalez will pitch. I'm obviously really excited to see him throw. Um, whether he'll be on a pitch count or not will be um, interesting to see. Plus, Matheny's bullpen might be compromised depending on how many relievers he needs to use in the first game. And, of course, the Cardinals are facing a guy that hasn't pitched in the major leagues at all this season. It always seems that those are the pitchers that the Cardinals um, lineup struggles against the most. So if I had to uh, fix the wins and losses, I would say they split the doubleheader tomorrow, lose the nightcap. But I feel good about Mike Leake and Michael Walkis uh, pitching at Bush Stadium against the Brewers. They pitched well at Bush this year. Tito, what do you think? I'm thinking the Cardinals will win three of four as well. Like I said earlier, I like the pitching matchups in favor for the Cardinals. Um, I think, you know, the Jimmy Nelson game can can be won. I would take Lance Lynn over Jimmy Nelson. And I will say Jimmy Nelson has pitched better as of lately, but I would say Lance Lynn is going to come back with, with a little bit of, uh, with a little bit of fire in his stomach and he's going to pitch really well. I think the biggest game 
again, that could go for the Brewers is the Zach Davies leak matchup. And that's certainly not a knock on Mike Leak because he's pitched as well as you could have hoped for. But I just think, you know, Davies being the Brewers' best pitcher, he's probably set up to uh, probably take that. Um, Walker versus Guerra could be a could be a seesaw battle. So I could certainly understand why Josh would pick a pick a split. Um, I, I initially picked a split in my June piece. I'm going to go a little off course and say I think the Cardinals, um, you know, with the urgency that has come now, I think the Cardinals will find a way to win three of four. Well, I guess I'll be the dark cloud in this conversation because I really think that we're going to let the Brewers take three of the four games. I think that we're going to limp out of this series and have to make some pretty tough decisions. Now, I, I don't want to feel that way, but I, you know, I'd love to say that I think that the Marco game is going to go well. I, I don't. I don't think it's going to. Um, I like Marco a lot. I just really think that the Brewers, who have been stumbling of late, are coming in, and they're hungry this year. And they're a scary team because they really don't have anything to lose. And I think that we'll limp out of this series with only one victory, and I'm not really sure I know which one that's going to be. I don't really trust a whole lot of what Walker's doing on the mound. I mean, certainly not past the fourth inning. Uh, I do like Leak. I like what he's doing. But as you guys have pointed out, he hasn't been terribly sharp in his last two starts. Uh, I've always been a – well, let, let me rephrase that. I have not always been a fan of Lance Lynn, but uh, of late I've been a fan of Lance Lynn. Um, I'm probably more a fan of Lance Lynn now because I think that his value needs to go up so that we can trade him away. Because I think that's what he has the best value to our club. That being said, I think that we will end up with um, a record of one and three at the end of this series. And I'll let you guys say uh, anything that you'd like to say there before we bounce into the next, the final topic. Go ahead. I'm just waiting I'm for Tito to boo you. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm really close to it. <laughs> I got booed in saying they were going to go two and two. Yeah, yeah well, I'd, I'd have to say, if the Cardinals man. lose three or four, that'd be really disappointing because um, you just <laughs> hope that they can go on a, a streak of sustained success after last week's losing streak. Um, and the Brewers won two out of three in St. Louis in early May. So you just hope that the Cardinals can, you know, win at home and win against, you know, division division rivals. The Cardinals have actually won five straight games at home. You know, they had some struggles in April and May with the home record, but they've won their last five at Bush. So hopefully they can um, make Bush a home field advantage for them. It wasn't, that wasn't the case last season. I I will say this, Dr. Miles, I want to ask you this based on what you just predicted. Are you, are you sure you're not the one that uh, breeds the Cardinals Twitter negativity? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I, you know, if, if I have that much power that I did not know, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And I may need to start wielding that power a little more, I guess. Uh, no, I, I, I do think that we see a lot of the negativity sitting out there. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly one who feels that way. I mean, our own Bob Lee, Bob Lee says on our blog, 
has in fact pointed out to me how he and I are taking polar opposites this season. He's trying to infuse all this positivity into Redbird Ranch when I'm writing things about three potential options to replace Matheny and writing things about Mosaic Ceasefire John Mabry. Um, I, you know what? I, I want to be I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong in this series. I'm just saying that what I saw in the sweep of Philadelphia was not enough to say to me that we're really on a roll. I think that um, defeating the Phillies a little more handedly, and I would agree with you guys, but the first game of that series, we won by one run, and it was too close of a game against the NL East's worst team. And that's, you know, I'm not calling the Cardinals the NL Central's worst team. Certainly there have been days when we have upheld that and embodied that, but I'm not prepared to say that. I am prepared to say that I don't think we can win two out of four against the Brewers. But I will say this, though. Last time you picked the Cardinals to lose a series, and we talked about it, I went against you, and it came out in my favor. So I'm banking on that again. And I am completely banking on that wholeheartedly. So let's keep that up. And let's just say from here out, I'm going to choose that we will have losing series and you will take the alternative stance and hopefully you will win them all for sure. So we've got just a couple of minutes left. And our last topic tonight, instead of our top five or who's hot and who's not or what the flock, as Tito likes to throw in there, I want to know – you know, because we had a great post go up today by Bob Lee, Bob Lee says, uh, about a great experience at Bush Stadium. And that made me, and I know it made Tito, who makes our agendas for us, uh, think about uh, ballpark food and our favorite ballpark food. So to send us out on a really good note, uh, since I just brought us down with some dark clouds about the Brewer series, let's toss it over first to Nathan. Nathan, what is your favorite ballpark food, and where have you had it? Um, well, I'm 19, so I can't say I've enjoyed a cold one at the field just yet. Um, you know, I don't get ballpark food all that often, to be honest with you. Uh, most of that reason is like a hot dog costs like $10. But that being said, in the heat of Bush Stadium, I usually enjoy getting those, uh, like those frozen lemonades or something like that, you know, those I think are reasonably priced compared to what most other things are priced. Uh, I follow the... MLB food Instagram account, which has like all kinds of off the wall foods that would be cool to try around around the country. Um, but yeah, I'd have to go with that. I just like the traditional stuff, you know, peanuts, cracker jacks, nothing too crazy for me. All right, guys, we're really running out of time, so I'm only going to give you about 10 seconds each. So, Tito, best ballpark food? Give me nachos and a beer. All right. And, Josh, best ballpark food? Two years ago, I found that Bush Stadium had tater tot nachos, and I found it to be a game changer. Now, that that sounds delicious. I will tell you, my favorite is the Rendezvous Barbecue nachos that are at Memphis's AutoZone Park. If you have never had Rendezvous Barbecue, you have missed out, and your life is not yet complete. You have one of those, and you have a cold, frothy one. And that is a day at the ballpark. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me in this episode. And uh, we just want to say thanks to all the listeners. Uh, Thank you for reading our blog. Make sure you check us out. 
and go Cardinals. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great night. 